What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 228 of the Alamo Audible Podcast. A little delayed release this week, so thank you for your patience with us. This is your host, Jared Kalmas, joined by my co-host, Adrian Bermunez. Adrian, I was pleasantly surprised we didn't get too many uh, snarky gifts sent our way with this uh, Wednesday afternoon recording. No death threats, no no pounding the table. There was one really, really good meme posted of a guy like smashing his computer whenever the wow. delay was announced. Yeah, I enjoyed that. But yeah, sorry for the delayed recording. You know, strenuous work schedules this week, a lot of stuff to take care of outside the podcast between full-time jobs and travel and family. And uh, look, Jared and I put as much time as we're able to. And sometimes, very, very rarely, I might add, we've got to push back to the middle of the week. We miss our regular recording routine but it will not throw us off in terms of delivering you the best damn recap and preview that you can get this is my my personal trap game week on the schedule every team <laughs> has one my flight was delayed you know just like rv game last year i uh had two three-hour flights had to wait like an hour to get a rental car drove two hours had a two-hour long meeting with the customer drove an hour back had a four-hour delay, missed my return flight home because of that delay, got sent to a crappy hotel in the Chicago airport, uh, woke mm. up at 3 a.m., flew to Houston, worked an eight-hour workday, and now I'm here. Uh, I'll see how much energy I can muster. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. Well, you know what Coach Trailer says, Jared? Championship teams aren't healthy. They're tough. And so, you know, tough we'll now, you're going to get Jared's best triangle of toughness performance today, folks. <laughs> Enduring adversity. Yes, Jared Kalmus. Oh, man. Still going to deliver in the class. Uh, oh, I've man. felt myself getting sleepier just in, in the two minutes that we've been recording here already. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to recap well, the, the big win over the UAB Blazers, um, a series which is begging for a rivalry name, I think. Ooh. Yeah, a lot of talk about that over the past week. And I don't know if this game really lived up to the billing, but, you know, it still continues to be a, a great series. Then, of course, we'll preview uh, what should be an absolutely classic game between UTSA and FAU, two really evenly matched teams. Um, I think pretty much everyone on both sides uh, would attest to that. So before we do that, I do want to say thank you to two new subscribers on Patreon this week. Thank you to Keith Lapise and Brandy Dunnigan. Oh, man, my cat stuff right in front of my notes. As I was reading the brand new name, brand new hope I didn't mess your name up. Thank you guys for subscribing. Uh, I imagine Keith is Luke's dad. So thanks for checking us out. Hope you enjoy all the great plays of Luke that I've had in my phone breakdowns this week. If you've been able to check those out. Yeah. So thanks for all support. Adrian. 41 to 20. I don't think either of us picked UTSA to win by anywhere near that much. I think I had them winning by five. You had them winning by six or seven. And uh, what I mean, they, UTSA missed like a 30 yard field goal, so it should have been 44 to 20 final. UTSA right. took care of business, man. Full performance, complete performance, best they've looked all year on all three sides of the ball. Even, even though 100%. I just said they missed a 30 yard field goal, I think everything else was good enough to overcome that. 100%, Jared. This was the most inspired, the most aggressive football we've seen in this team play all year. Temple last week was a step in the right direction, mm -hmm. but 
this week or last week, I guess, against UAB. This this was reminiscent of the team that won 23 games over the 2021-2022 season, where there's big impact plays happening in all three phases of the game. Mm-hmm. That's offense, defense, and special teams. You had big impact plays, uh, you know, e- enormous, tremendous touchdowns. I mean, Robert Henry jumps over a guy on the opening possession of the game. And then you have a, a, a strip sack fumble on the defense's first possession. You have a 53-yard program tying field goal made. I mean, these are massive, massive moments, Jared, right? And, and you saw them on all three phases, not just one. We saw them all four quarters long. UTSA didn't let off the gas throughout this game. They really played their best football. Um, it was exceptional. Yeah, tacked on 10 more in the fourth quarter. Should have been 13. But, Jared... This was by far, I think, the most high-spirited, most confident UTSA team that we've seen out there. And maybe that was because it was the most healthy. I was, I was waiting for you to stop your, your speech so I could add that in because it's a huge part of it. Most healthy. And first time in a month they played in the Albadome. Oh, feels good to be home. Dome, sweet dome. I mean, it really does. Even in front of a sub 24,000 attendance number, it feels good to be home. And look, I hear the energy was good in there, regardless of the amount of people in the stadium. Uh, wait, hold on. Where, where did you get sub 20 from? Sub 23. I'm oh, sorry, sub okay. sub 24. Sub 24. It was yeah, 23. And that, that is a good crowd. If, if you go back and you look at these kind of mid-season home attendance against conference foes over the past couple of years, this is better than what you're usually seeing. So I, I thought the attendance was just fine. It was a lot better than what we've seen over the last two years, even in the conference back-to-back championships. Usually we don't see the dome filled until really like the end of the season, or if it's a really, really important um, mm-hmm. matchup, you know, in-state matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Or a bigger team coming, but. And, and right, they had Jared. a losing record coming into the game too. So I, I was a little bit surprised to see a lot of negative attendance talk. Um, of course I, I wasn't there, right? So I'm, I can't really speak on it. Uh, that's my personal take. If you weren't there, you can't complain about attendance. But I thought it was good. I mean, it, it was what I expected, well, I'd say. I wonder how many, you know, fans have, have have really only seen, you know, conference championship games, end of season games where the Dome was really crowded. The first two home games of this year, you had a Texas State crowd, which is going to bring you into the mid-30s. What was it 35, 37 this year? 38, I think. And then... What's the other part of that? You have uh, the Army bring in. Oh, maybe there was the Army that was up in the third. Did the Texas State number break 40 or was it 38? Yeah. It was one of those top 10 games. That's not yeah, like it was like it was like a top three game for Texas State. Yeah, and, I think you're correct. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Army was like 28K or something like that. 28 from Army and 40 plus. For, so, okay. So people thought, you know, based off of. Those which are not the average, right? Those are those special right. occasion games where right. you're going to get that enormous Alamo crowd. They, they expected a little bit closer than that. They'd only been used to a fuller Alamo Dome stadium. But yeah, that might be the lowest turnout of the year. And if that holds true, the average attendance is going to be sky high. Because like in previous years, the lowest attended game, even in a good season, is like 17K or something like that. So you just got to put it in perspective, in my opinion. We probably haven't had a home season where there wasn't a sub 20,000 attendance in man, probably the better part of six or seven years. Yeah. That's a great point. Maybe eight. Mm -hmm. So if our lowest number is still above 20, it's an enormous 
improvement yeah, from what we've seen. Well said. You're right. So Trey Moore and Donye Taylor, I think, are the first two names that come to my mind. We talk about full mm-hmm. health, but this is a full, full, healthy UTSA squad. Um, but these two guys, because because we saw the health of Frank Harris last week against Temple, so we saw mm-hmm. that offense mm-hmm. starting to fire and look like its old self. Hadn't seen the defense play as well as it played in the first two weeks since the last month, right, of not being in the Alamo Dome. Essentially, uh, Traymore and Donye Taylor come back at, I guess, 90, 100%. They sure as hell looked like they were at 100 Donye looked 100 to me. I don't know about Trey. Yeah. Donye okay. had that big uh, knee brace off, and it made a big difference, it seemed. These dudes completely lit it up out there. It was like a completely different energy on the defense, and it, and it kind of goes to show maybe those guys are really the captains here, um, single-digit guys. And, you know, you have that offensive captain come back and Frank Harris. Now you have the defensive captains come back, from what it seems to me at least. Um, because there was a newfound energy jolting this defense, and and it was evident. You know, UTSA comes right downfield, scores seven on their first offensive possession. There's this whole no huddle sequence going on where where UTSA is just moving downfield. They go seventy five yards in under three minutes on eight plays. It was really electric. Uh, topped off with the backpack back to back fourteen. And then 19-yard gains with Robert Henry. That was that great leap that we saw, the hurdle. And then the very next sequence, Zeno takes the ball back. Jacob Zeno, UAB offense guys to go to work. You have Donnie Taylor getting the backfield on back-to-back plays, mm-hmm. tackles for loss, mm-hmm. four-yard loss, five-yard loss. Plays, he knew where the ball was going before it was released, too. Before. If before you go and look at my film right. breakdown on AlamoAudible.com, You'll see where his eyes are pointing, or right where the ball is going to go, and he he just goes and gets it, man. Very well. I prepared. love this. I love this point that you make because those weren't running plays; those weren't sacks. These were complete passes for Jacob. Jacob Zeno starts the game, you know, two for two with negative nine yards because yeah. Donye Taylor is just blowing up the backfield. They go to a third and nineteen. Way, way back. Gosh, probably like from their own 15 or 10-yard line, damn near. And there's a there's a strip sack from Trey Moore. Boom. Roadrunners recover. Turnover. Hit the hit the triangle with the hammer yeah. after the first possession of the game. And, and we going, take going three we for again. three on, on Havoc plays and the first three plays of the game on defense. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, the, the kind of interesting thing to me is when I watched UAB's first game this season, they were playing an FCS opponent. And their offense was the same as it's been all season. You know, a lot of like lateral tosses, screens, running back flare routes, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, I don't think this is going to work against AAC defenses. Hmm. Um, and what I saw for them against UTSA was like what I expected to see all year. And it hadn't played out that way until they played UTSA. They were moving the ball pretty well against USF and uh, even Tulane. You know, they, they got some pretty good. Uh, against yes. you know with the with that short passing against Tulane played well, um, played well but I don't know if it's just like the athleticism that UTSA has on the edge or if they just were better prepared for it than the teams were but I thought they did an awesome job of taking away um, UAB's primary game plan of, of doing that quick hitting uh, short pass offense hmm. right right and that was just all about having that nose for the football there were a couple times whenever it did work when it did get going 
more so not because we didn't have the guys there. We got beat or we didn't read the play well. But that same old little, you Sometimes. know, some guys slipped out of tackles, some missed tackles here and there, yeah. and they had some chunk pages. Yeah, we'll give that up be, all you're day. great players. Yeah, you're, they're going to get yeah. some, right? They, they've got yeah. Tejon Palmer, Amari uh, Thomas, uh, you know, Jermaine Brown. Like, those guys, they're going to go make plays, right? There's so some I, I dogs, man. They have dogs yeah. there. Yeah, and and I exactly that. And, and, you know, you talk about, I don't know how people can gripe at the attendance number. I don't know how people could gripe at the defense after the way that UTSA showed out, man. I I, I saw a lot of bad takes about really? how the defense played on. Yeah, I've been on so Twitter. busy this yeah. week. I don't think I, I saw any of that. Yeah, man. I d- didn't like to see it. Wasn't a fan of that. Uh, UTSA played phenomenal. They, they held UAB to, I think seven for 18, on third downs, um, you, you get back there for what six sacks, uh, I think 12 or 13 tackles for loss. I mean, ridiculous game. UTSA, when when the defense plays that well, look at what it's able to do for the offense, too. Look, mm-hmm. UTSA's offense put up 41 points with numbers that wouldn't make sense for a team that put up 41 points. Only they only have 360 yards. Total yeah. yards of yeah. offense, bro. That's because their average – Starting field position was the 43-yard line. Mm-hmm. That was the defense. Mm-hmm. Stopping them on third downs, creating turnovers, causing those havoc plays that we've been banging the table for. Yeah. Frank Harris and company does not have to do anything. They only have to hold the ball for 27 minutes of the game clock, time of possession. I don't want to. 41 points on 360 yards. Get out of here. I don't want to jump ahead too much because this is going to be a whole segment. But if you think about it, UTSA left 10 points on the board. So it should have been 51 points on 360 yards. That is just statistically improbable, first of all. But it also shows efficiency that when you have those short fields, you're scoring pretty quickly on them. Or you're, you're, I guess I shouldn't say you're scoring pretty quickly, but you're attaining the maximum amount of yards that you could acquire. That is a pretty nutty to think about to try to wrap your head around another thing UTSA, I'll point out on the defense too so there was a quote from trailer i can't remember when it was but he mentioned you know again talking about the non-conference schedule is the uh out of district play <laughs> which is like, it makes my skin crawl um yes, but i mean I, yeah. I get it i get it uh but he was saying that you know in those first four games you're trying different guys out moving guys around trying different combinations you know almost like a basketball you try to get like your starting five block down and then figure out who those three guys coming off the bench you know for your, sure. your main eight rotation right um and i think the one area that i really noticed a change at was at safety uh which you know that's great to hear because that was the position i thought it struggled the most on the defensive side of the ball um and they really really cut back on the rotation um at the safety positions so mm-hmm. Rashad played 62 snaps. Ken Robinson played 60 snaps. Uh, Kalechi wow. was way down in a snap count. I don't even know if he broke double digits. Yeah, he only had nine snaps. Um, and Marcellus Wilkerson played quite a bit as well. Um, so way shorter rotation of safety, and I think it helped. But that duo that you mentioned, that seems the best safety combination. I yeah. mean, certainly the best safety combination that we've seen out there. Yeah. And Jared, oh, and another uh, thing... Elliot- yeah, sorry, I missed Elliot Davidson. His snap count went up as well. He played 28 snaps, oh. had that interception, played a great game. Yeah, the interception. 
Yeah, he mm-hmm. played really well at the interception, which brought me to was going to bring me to my point, Jared. You talk about quote Coach Trailer. I want to quote you because you've been saying all year long when the turnovers were going to come, they were going to come in bunches, mm-hmm. and that's certainly what we've seen. Or I think we had two last week, two fumble mm-hmm. recoveries mm-hmm. against Temple, and now three against UAB by way of two interceptions and the strip sack fumble recovery. Jared, we're we're all of a sudden, the team that could not get turnovers, it's raining turnovers now. It's just how it happens, man. That's the game of football. Uh, I don't know what it is, if it's luck, if it's just the rule of averages or whatever, but I'll yeah. take it. And I, I'd much rather get those turnovers in conference play than in games you're probably going to lose against Tennessee. And uh, I mean, I guess I would have taken a couple against Houston or, or Army, but, you know, we, we, we're playing for trophies here. It would have been nice to get the New York Six spot for sure. Don't get me wrong, but it was always a very low chance that that would actually play out. Which on that point, you know, I think I think trailers uh, out of conference is like out of district uh, is non-district games. I think that's a quote from seasons past, but I don't know if he's echoed it this year. It seems like he realized with the New Year's Six on the table that out of conference was a little bit more important for the Roadrunners this season. If, if I'm just completely, if I would be completely honest with you, I think that mindset will keep him at UTSA for a long time. So it's cool <laughs> with me. Okay, just keep keep winning the conference play. Yeah, not getting poached with uh, losses to Houston by, by, by far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, phenomenal game from. The UTSA defense. Uh, hey, was the tackling better for UTSA against UAB or, or no? I think it was better. Yeah, I think it was better. There were a couple chunk plays where they where they where they whipped on some tackles, but I thought that this defense was playing a hell of a lot more aggressive than we've seen them play all year. And and with that aggression came better hitting, better tackling. Yeah. Uh, the reason I ask is uh, PFF has it as its second worst tackling performance of the season, which I just don't really agree with. So I wanted to get your take on that. They actually have Temple as the best tackling game of the year. I'm like, what? That was miserable that to watch. I don't know. Off. It's like those two were backwards, right? Maybe they got those backwards. Yeah, I feel like I maybe know. those two were backwards man. because there's no way that UTSA has the success that they do on third down and with stopping UAB's offense, keeping them to 20 points without a better showing in that department. There's just mm-hmm. no way. Yeah. Anything else on the defense you want to mention? Uh, and first of all, let's just say it's rare for uh, us here at Alma Audible to, to break down the defense on a game recap before we do the offense, especially in a game where the offense put up 41 points. And that says a lot about the level of spec that we're subconsciously giving to the defense. Well, I think that was the difference maker. I think I think that unit really, really deserves the shine. And I think the reason why UTSA's offense was asked, was they would have such a good day at work because it was a partly an easy day at work because UTSA defense really got to work, man. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it, it was great. So all credit to the defense. I think they really were the difference maker in this one. And uh, yeah, no, that's it for me on defense. Jared, did you have any other points? No, just overall great team performance. I was really happy with what I saw. Fantastic. Okay. So switching over to the offense, Jared. Uh, a machine. 41 points, albeit you only had to put up 360 yards to do it. But we saw a lot of really big, impactful plays, large swaths of field being picked up. Um, albeit not necessarily through the passing game, mm-hmm. but through the rushing game. 
we saw we saw that from Robert Henry, and it felt like, you know, the big completions that we did see in the in the passing game. You know, we saw a lot that were significant, and it seemed to be really consistent that we were picking up those um, first down chunks that we needed through the air mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with relative ease. You know, guys were open. Yeah, and there were, there were a few times where UTSA had defenders downfield and Andrew Pi or you know something like that. So. You have the, I guess we really got to talk, talk about Robert Henry. Robert mm-hmm. Henry, nine attempts, 99 yards. It's 11 yards per carry with one touchdown, a 42-yard gash. I believe that was the um, the play that he did the leap on, from, or, or did that come later? No, I think, that, I think that 42-yard run was later in the game, actually. I think it was more in the third quarter now that I'm thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, because he only had 19 yards on their mm-hmm. 14 or 29 yards on that leaping play. Yeah, but you got to add the coolness factor and give him an extra 30 yards for the hurdle. And he's I think that's the grill. fair. The grill's another 15 yards in my book. Clearly, the grill's doing something right. You know, let him have that swagger. Hey, if he keeps running for 70 yards a carry or whatever he's at right now, he can wear whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can spike the ball yeah. every touchdown if he keeps that up and makes up for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So, man, I wish I could remember, remember when uh, that run was, what run it was. But Robert Henry, I mean, you know, he's he's really been coming out all season long and just playing like an absolute stud. He's the one that's had these enormous, you know, 30 and 40 yard gains all season. We haven't quite seen that from Kavorian Barnes, albeit Kavorian has been very, very consistent. Uh, 19 carries for 76 yards against UAB. That's still four yards per carry. Um, still looked great. Yeah, t- two touchdowns, too. Two touchdowns at that. Um, it seems like, you know, when, when UTSA knows they need to get it, they give it to Kavorian Barnes to do it, and he does. Um, he's averaging four, nearly four and a half yards per carry on the season. But yeah, Robert Henry, albeit, you know, he's done it with half the attempts, but he's averaging seven yards per carry. Right now, they're a really, really good tandem. I like the way that they're splitting their touches right now. I, I really do like the volume. You know, Kavorian's getting slightly more, but Robert's getting a good amount, 11. I'd like to see them both getting more than 10. But Jared, people are going to start asking, should Robert Henry be the starting running back? I don't know if it really matters all that much. I think as long as there's like a 50-50 split between Kivorian and and Robert, I'm cool with it. You know, um, probably just depends on what the play call is going to be for those scripted series that you start the game out with. Uh, for, for those that don't know, typically offensive coordinators have like their first two drives like charted out. Like here's going to be the play calls that we're going to have uh, for like our first you know, 14, 20 plays. I, I don't know what number coordinators actually use, right? Um, so whatever you want to attack the defense with in those scripted series, you know, if you want more speed, go with Henry. If you want more power running game, you probably go with Barnes. Yeah, just whatever, whatever's right for that. You know, kind of game opening approach um, situation. Yeah, like someone posted in our Patreon chat earlier um, about. I think there's an or between Donald Griffin and Kim Alexander or something like that. And obviously, Alexander has been the best corner all season. Um, but I don't think guys really look at the depth chart like that and, and really put much stock in it as long as they're getting their snaps week in a week out. I think it's all right. Yeah, I would agree with you. I don't think it matters too much as long as they're getting an equal distribution. Uh, Robert Henry had 
nine carries against UAB. Kamori Barnes had 19. I think they could both be getting 10 plus. Right? Yeah. Getting By the way, I went split. I went and found that 40 yard run for Robert Henry. That was an outside zone play. Really well executed. Ah. Corey Garnett uh, just destroys the defensive tackle. And then Ernesto Almaraz makes a really nice play where he lets that outside linebacker rush in a little bit and just kind of takes him out of the play. Huge hole uh, for Robert to run right through. And not a play UTS runs often. They run a lot of inside zone, but not a whole lot of outside zone. So interesting to see that kind of open up in the playbook a little bit. I guess also probably also an endorsement of how much trust they're getting in Ernesto and Vinley playing at those offensive tackle positions as they get more reps mm. out there, mm. which I hadn't considered until uh, watching you blow your nose on mute. And then I had to fill up a little bit of space until you were all good. <laughs> what did you think about the offensive line? They were great, man. They were great. You know, uh, the, the tactic of getting the best five out there is usually one that I'll, I'll endorse, right? Even if you've got a six foot two guy playing a tackle, I just really feel like in your best five, that is almost always best for every team. Um, and that's what UTSA went with. You're seeing it pay off. I think this is only the second time or the first time this season you just had the same starting five uh, from the previous game carryover. And, and you saw that um, not a lot of miscommunication breakdowns, pass protection, and some really massive holes for guys to run through. Uh, there was one play the ESPN broadcast had a really good, like kind of uh, back of the end zone shot of like the parting of the sea. Um, I'm trying to remember what play that was. Yeah. It was a run from Kavorian. Oh, and Payne Ebert actually returned in this game. He had a massive block on that oh, one. Yeah. Just, you know, ridiculous hole. Uh, if LaPaz would have gone to that second level, just like a split second earlier, it would have been a touchdown for Kavorian pretty much. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. they were, there were some road graders up there. They were, they were bullies. Um, they look great, man. It was awesome to see. I, I can, I hope yeah. they keep it up. Yeah. Fantastic protection. Fantastic. Uh, setting up plays, opening up those holes, moving downfield when they needed to. It <laughs> was really, really impressive stuff, man. It was, it was an athletic showing a ferocious showing from the offensive line. Those guys played like some dogs and UTSA's playmakers able to kind of do what they wanted at will to a degree. I mean, yep. really salty stuff, man. UTSA scores on the first four possessions from scrimmage, three straight touchdowns and then a field goal uh, before having to punt for the first time. And then we get a, a really, really horrendous interception. Oh, we should have scored we a touchdown. Here we go. At the end of the second half, Jared, UTSA, right after UAB scores a field goal to make it 24 to 13, gets the ball going downfield with only about a minute and a half left in the second quarter. And Frank Harris moves the ball downfield with a couple of um, big passes. You got an 11 yarder to Cephas, 13 yarder to Cardenas. Next thing you know, UTSA is down to the five-yard line. And it's a first and goal with a minute left in the second half. Awesome. UTSA is going to score a touchdown. We're going to go into the locker room up 31 to 13. It is a given with how well the offense is playing. It is an absolute given. Instead, we run 
two pass plays on first and second down, which yeah, I think really the, aren't there. I think Frank Harris. The first call was like uh, quick slants on yes. the left hand side, right? Right. Not a great pass. Pretty good play from the cornerback from UAB. I, I think it technically would be a pass breakup. I think he had his hand on the ball. And then on, and then and then I think there was a weird uh, situation happened with like a, a penalty, and UTSA gets a fresh set of downs on there. Whatever they run a freaking of all things, a wide receiver pass on a toss. So Frank Harris tosses the ball to Joshua Cephas in the backfield, who then sets up to throw to Oscar Cardenas, and lobs a loaf of bread. And it gets interception in the end zone for UAB. It is a trick play run with a 24 to 13 lead, a two possession lead on the five yard line on the goal to end a half, to end the first half. I mean, every single part of that context when it comes to this football situation that we were in means you do not run a trick play. You don't run a trick play when you're leading, when you're in control of the game, when you're on the five-yard line. When you're obviously been the more talented team, winning the battle in the trenches. And Adrian, you've missed the most important part. They had two timeouts to use. They went to the half with two timeouts in their pocket, and they were running the ball at will on UAB. I don't know if UAB had a, a stuffed run like the entire first half, and they didn't even attempt to run it down to the goal line. They didn't call a single run play on the entire four or five plays they ran from the five-yard line. And, and not even a run pass easy. option either, I don't think. I don't think those quick no. stance. I think that was a design three-step drop. No, Frank Harris dropped back to pass. And then Joshua Cephas, I guess, backs up to pass. Three times in a row, you call three pass plays on a, on a first and goal from the five-yard line whenever you're moving the ball at will. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you mentioned, like, Josh threw up a loaf of bread. Uh, I would argue that if he would have thrown even more of a loaf of a pass, it probably would have been a touchdown because he, sure. he he threw it a little bit more of a dart than he should have. Like if he would have thrown it over the defenders, Oscar was open back there. He just didn't have the right trajectory in his pass because he's not a quarterback. I mean, that's a pretty uh, pretty intricate throw. You're asking someone to read the coverage. Very, very intricate throw. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a soft throw, but it takes a very special, yes. very advanced yes. amount of touch. To, right. to do okay and yeah. holy it's like God. a left-handed layup you know what i'm saying <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah yeah you only got so much in zone to work with before that ball goes out of bounds so we're right we're, we're right there we don't call a single pass play even though we're running the ball at will no part of situational football that warrants a trick play you call a trick play literally jared this is the definition of getting cute out there mm -hmm. um and I know in the grand scheme, it's not that big of a deal because we won 41 to 20. It is still that kind of kind of kind of an issue, I think, that's that's worth talking about. And a well, lot of people want to say I think there's there's more to take away from it than just we didn't score the seven points that we should have. Well, and I think even if you do score the seven points, it's a horrendous call. It's not the yeah, fact that UTSA yeah, yeah. doesn't get the touchdown. And I guess mm -hmm. that's what I want to make clear. It's not the fact that UTSA didn't get the touchdown that makes it a bad call. It was like, oh, if they score, no one's talking about it. Yeah, bullshit. Because right when that ball got tossed to Cephas and he backed up in throwing position, I was cursing out the television. Yeah. What the F are we doing? Before yeah, yeah. that ball left Josh's hands. And it was almost as if I knew that it was going to be an interception coming. And sure enough, it did. 
<laughs> I mean, it is our job as podcasters to do five to 10 minutes about this, whether they score or not. That's what we're here for, right? That's what Correct. us lowly podcasters have put on this earth to do our armchair analysis on. Or plays like these are, are the perfect example. I I don't like any play on the goal line that moves backwards ever. A jet mm. sweep, anything like that. He should always be going downhill, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I love that the, take. To to build off of what I mentioned about I think there's more to take away from here than just whether they scored or not. I don't I think Jeff Trailer made the call. I don't think Justin Burke did. He said that he did in the press conference, and I don't know if he was taking well, the call yeah, when but, he said that, but I mean, he, but he's he's gonna take accountability because he's a great coach, right? Even if it was but you Burke's think call. he really did call it. You think he really did call it. He always has override, right, as, as the head coach, but I think it was his decision to go for it. I think Burke is in like maybe a little bit too hot of water to have the cojones to to make a call like that, call on, that on yeah, the two yeah, yeah. or whatever. That's a good point. That is a really fair um, point. That is a really fair point. I don't know, man. It's just my gut and the way that trailer has reacted tells me it was his call to make. Because even, you know, he said like, oh, I talked to Josh after the game and something like you've got you you lead the school in receptions, but you know, you have the worst quarterback rating of all time or something like that. Right, yeah. It's yeah. almost like he's a little salty and didn't work. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. To me, to yeah, me it makes sense that Jeff made the call. And he did say something when he first addressed it, which, which Jared, to that point, he wasn't asked about it. He brought it up on yeah, his he own knew. Yeah, which while was smart answering of him, other questions, which was you, extremely you control, smart of him. You can control the narrative when you bring it up and it's not a question that you're led into. So, yeah. And you can control I, I the whole that. Can control the whole tone of that press conference instead of a coach like getting his ammunition ready t- to reply to that question with yeah he yeah. was like i'm just gonna bring it up instead of you know <laughs> having all this ammunition to reply to greg luca with so he uh-huh. decides hey, that maybe that's one uh small side benefit of the bad start to the season i i think trailer's gotten better about handling media this year Ooh, he had some rough wow. press conferences and and questions and stuff like that earlier in the year Oh, uh, maybe maybe he's learning a thing or two, you know. Some self reflection went on for sure. Yeah, yeah you know. I love hearing Greg's take on that. <laughs> Probably heard about it from the wife, right? It was like, hey, yeah. you were kind of a dick in some of those. Um, and he his, definitely his is mom. Is uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, my. yeah. <laughs> Evidently, she listens to the, the interviews for um, sure. Yeah, but uh, but the last thing I want to say about the whole like it was it Jeff's call or, or Justin's or whatever. If it was Trailer's call. That's more concerning to me because it shows a lack of trust. And Burke is the play caller. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, is it lack of trust or is it Jeff kind of wants to. Like, was 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 he a little bit too caught up just in that play? He wanted to run yeah. the trick play. He wanted to stick something to. I. Yeah, Ray B, I, I, to the fans, to the opposition, to everyone that's been talking about him. He wanted to just really show out. I think, and and maybe did that more so than I, I bet they ran it like five times in practice and it was it looked great every time. It was perfect every time. And I think as a coach, you'd be like, we've got to run this. He wanted to stunt. Yeah. He wanted to stunt on him, Jared. We were having, we were like, I mean, like we say, we were doing everything we wanted at will through the entire first half. There's only one punt after you score four times in a row and then on your fifth possession, 
Run a trick play from the five yard line, baby. Let's go. <laughs> like that's what he was. He was trying to start, dude. He got lost happened. in the sauce, man. Lost uh-huh. in the sauce. Damn it, Jeff. We have to play more disciplined football than that. Awesome. Water burger, creamy pepper, dipping sauce. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. Uh, all of social media hated it. All of UTSA fandom hated it. And so it, it's always bad when like neutral people or fans of the other team are even like, that was a terrible play call. <laughs> like we got gifted <laughs> one. That doesn't happen very often. It's just like, man, our defense was great. They they watched film, they were ready to go, made a play on the ball. But I saw a lot of UAB people on Twitter like, that was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, yeah, there was no one saying well, that ends well. You learn from it, you flush it, you move on. Yeah. So it it, kind of sucks though, because, you know, Trailer made this point in an interview this week. Josh can throw a really good ball, right? And I I hate that that play went so poorly because now I'm worried like it doesn't get used again in a better time, better opportunity window. Correct we'll me see. if I'm wrong, but he's thrown that same flea flicker before and, and yeah, it's been really, really sure. successful. He threw it against I UT, so. I want to say. Huh. Yeah, that went to Zakari. I think he did throw it. Pretty sure that was Josh, because I think he did some time at QB at, uh whenever he was at Decaney. Yeah, I think you're right. So he has right. a little bit of experience with that. And mm-hmm. now I'm just firing from off the hit, but I want to say I'm remembering that correctly. I think so. I mean, I know Brendan Brady threw a lot of passes, but I don't know if he played in the UT game. I think it was Josh. I think it was wide receiver throw. And that thing was beautiful. That's still one of the best plays maybe in UTSA history. That's that's nice. Threw for 311 <sighs> yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was that, the wide receiver, but, that counts. but he also threw it. He's a quarterback his junior year. Um, and he played some quarterback his senior year. It looks like his senior year has never even made the, ch- uh, the transition. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll count it. Definitely. 100%. Um, let's see anything else on offense. Uh, we got to see some with the bench cleared on offense. I, I will say, uh, we saw Jaron Randall out there. Uh, Owen McCowan came in off the bench to end that the game in the last drive there. Uh, Cam yeah, he, we saw run. him. I'm glad that she brought that up, Jared, because he came in before we saw Eddie Lee Marburger. He came in mm-hmm. right behind Frank Harris. Owen McCowan did a lot of speculation. After the Army game, was Owen McCowan going to be Frank mm-hmm. Harris's backup? That's what happened against UAB, Jared. Yep. It was like, oh, I did not notice that, that Patrick Obermeyer played. I see him on the participation chart. I think I did notice him out there. Yeah, people were getting involved. Uh, really, really excellent show on offense. Really excellent showing on defense. And then you had Chase Allen knock down a 46-yarder, a 53-yarder, but he misses the chip-in at the end of the game. Between that and the Joshua Cephas interception on the trick play from the five-yard line, there's 10 points left on the board for UTSA and what should have been a 50-burger over UAB. Um, On the UAB side, Jared, um, I mean, look, they played a really good game against Tulane. They beat the snot out of a USF team the week prior to playing UTSA. Did we overestimate this UAB team, or were they? Did they just have an off day? Jacob Zeno playing back in his hometown, pressure got to him a little bit. What 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 happened out there for UAB? Were they off, me, or were they just not that good? To me, the biggest thing was um, talent in the trenches was heavily favored towards UTSA, much more than I expected it to be. 
And I think there's yeah. two things there. I think first off, it's that, that offensive line for UTSA just got better and better. So they p- performed really well. Um, but then I think UAB's like young offensive line just couldn't keep up with what Trey Moore was doing out there, what Jamori Robinson was doing out there. Not only are those guys, you know, some of the best athletes in the nation, but their pass rushing moves are, are really improving. Um, you know, the way that I've seen Jamori keep his hands up and utilize his crazy long wingspan, um, I think that he contributed to one of those interceptions just because I don't think Zeno could really see uh, where the defenders were relative to the receiver on a third and long ball that he threw that I think that was came out. Yeah, that was came out Alexander's pick. I'm pretty sure. Um, so, you know, I think Jamore gets a lot of credit there. Um, and, and, and Trey Moore had the pressure on that and Trey Moore, man, he's out there. He's doing every pass rush move in the book, you know, the spin move, uh, a ghost rush, you know, just a speed rush, bull rush, everything, man. Um, and when you're a young offensive tackle, it's tough, man. You're already at a physical disadvantage with how athletic Trey is. And then to have, you know, that level of technique disparity, um, it's tough to pull off. So, yeah, I think yeah. we probably underestimated that. Um, but I still think UAB is a pretty good team. I don't think every team they play here on out is going to have that pass rush that UTSA showed. And I think that's the biggest thing. But I, I do think that they uh, probably should have done a bit more downhill running against UTSA, if I had to guess. Mm, okay. I yeah. think I think you're right. I think it was the trenches that was the big separator because... Yeah, as it is in now for games, two right? weeks. For two weeks in a row, we've seen the quarterback really, really take a beating from this UTSA defense. Yeah, second, second week in a row, UTSA's knocked the starting quarterback out for the opposing team. Wow. Yeah, very, very true. Yeah. So EJ Warner, I think on the stat sheet, you only see one sack, but he was just getting drilled. He got every hit a single lot. Time. Yeah. The ball left his hands. He was just really good about getting the ball out. Yeah. Jake for for Cino, anyone listening that missed it, uh, EJ didn't play against UNT last week at all. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Super banged up. Yeah, hopefully he's so, back this week. Same thing with Jacob Zeno. You see more stats on the sa- uh, on the more sacks on the stat sheet. I think six on the day, but man, Zeno also every time that ball left his hands was getting drilled, getting mm-hmm. clobbered there in the backfield. And so, yeah, man, the really the the pass rush having an outstanding outing just. To clobbering quarterbacks out here uh for american conference teams so far so yep they will cool. need to well, do that again jared yeah whenever we play fau this week good, good transition before we take a come here break and move over to the fau owls i do want to say thank you to our big uh, sorry to our board of trustees members on patreon uh, I want to reiterate again, our little our little Patreon chat on the Patreon app has been quite active. So thanks to everyone for participating mm. there. Uh, if you sign up for as little as $5 a month, you get access through the app uh, to participate in that. And those game day chats are a lot of fun. So thank you to DigiTeek, John Albwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rowdy Tailgating, Gary and Ruben representing the UTSA Bird Gate Tailgate, Ray Redding and Meet Me Pearl, Brandon Grill and the Gray Realty Group, Andy Elizada of Efficient Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Padrone, Ryan Squares, Waterman Construction, and Javon Townsend, the VP of the DFW chapter of the UTSA Alumni Association. So, Adrian, take a quick commute break and be back in just a minute to preview FAU.
All right, Adrian, big game this week. Sheamus on ESPN Plus, I really think this is one of the best matchups mm. in the conference this week. In the conference, man, in the conference, absolutely. Absolutely. Big stakes on the table. Two, three, and three teams, not just fighting to get over 500, but two, two and oh, undefeated in conference play teams fighting to keep that undefeated conference record extremely critical. UTSA 0-3 against the Florida Atlantic Owls all time. Uh, cannot win in Florida. Which two even, more even when they do win in there. Florida, they don't look great doing it. They don't look great doing it. But when we do win in Florida against it's it's against FIU, not FAU. <laughs> so <laughs> and yeah, little Panther Shade, man. Panthers oh. getting stray still. Poor guys. Yeah, tough, 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 tough. FAU, man, you know, this is um this is interesting because we really weren't sure how good FAU was during September. Um they had a pretty tough out of conference slate and they didn't play very well in their yeah. in their out of conference. Yeah, but but um, I, I do think their Illinois game was a little bit more impressive than they got credit for at the time, but I, I definitely yeah. agree with you. Also, Ohio turned out to be a pretty good team. They might win the match. That, so. Yes. Yeah, that 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 loss is looking more more yeah. of a quality loss now. Yep. Yep. But they played Tulsa extremely well and beat Tulsa by three points coming off of that Illinois loss. And then they just put an absolute beating on USF on the South Florida Bulls just this last weekend. Uh 56. Dude, they were up 56 to 14, and Tom Herman called an onside kick, bro. <laughs> that dog Tom is a dog man Tom Herman Tate. they did yeah. they didn't have taken a knee they were in field goal position took a knee so it wasn't as classless as it could have been not a full run up of the score but I was howling howling when I saw that man I, I only watched the highlights obviously if I was watching the game live I would have turned it off already but you know a little, little six seven minute YouTube video and uh, I, was, I was losing it man much much uh, more prideful than a, a trick play from the five yard line up nine points going into the half. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, dude, Tom Herman seems to be getting things together with his team. They're firing uh quarterback, mm-hmm. Daniel Richardson. He's looking, he's looking like a dog himself. And uh, the FAU, the FAU defense is also playing really well, holding a Tulsa team that took Tulane to the ropes to just 17 points. Yeah, Daniel Richardson, pretty interesting quarterback. So he was not the starter for them heading into the season. Uh, Casey Thompson, who's played like four different FBS programs, was their starter, did go down with injury um, in week three. Uh, Richardson's an, he's a he's a stout, young, short fellow. I don't I don't know how else to describe his his build. Um Man, this one, this one's for the the old head, roadrunner heads, man. In 2012, UTSA played Adam Commerce, and they had a quarterback that was like five foot nine and like two thirty. He was built like a tank, and mm-hmm. UTSA just couldn't bring him down. He would he would just scramble, and you know, even when they did a good job of <clears throat> you know spying on him, he would still run past him. He had a really ugly delivery, but he would make big plays to the air. And this guy reminds me so much of Daniel Richardson. Obviously, just Richardson's at 
uh, you know, the AAC level and not the division two level. So there's a big difference in terms of skill. Uh, but like their, their approach to playing the quarterback position, I think is pretty similar. Richardson's just a heck of a lot better. Mm. I wonder yes. how many people yes. in the pod were around for 2012 game. Richardson looks phenomenal. Yeah. And then Larry Coker at the helm. Incredible. Yeah. That was probably our best showing against FAU that we've had. Um, I think it was the closest point differential. If I'm not correct. Wait, wait, what year you're talking about? 2012 or 2014. 2014 UTSA plays FAU. Um, that was sorry, the game. The A&M conference game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Conference game. I, yeah I wasn't yeah. comparing it to the FAU quarterback. But yeah, that 2014 game was the one where uh, Cam Jones had a wide open kickoff return touchdown to win the game and ran out of gas and didn't make it. And oh then, my think, gosh. I think Tucker Carter had a receiver open, but just like threw it a little bit short and he couldn't complete it. That was, that was a real heartbreaker. Oh, brutal, man. I'm so glad we got to hit on that game in this, in this podcast episode. Yeah, dude. Um, Charlie Partridge head coach at the time. Oh, That's 41 man. To 37. Is that the coach that got fired for like drug use? FAU. Oh, man, I don't want to, oh, I don't want to say for sure on the podcast. That. But there was something with with Partridge, yeah. It, it was not a great time in FAU's uh, football history, for sure. It might have been the well, good thing for him, I don't know. But yeah, dark dark days for them. Yeah, Daniel Richardson looked like an episode. Oh, and I I, I misspoke earlier. Um, I, I meant to say Temple. I said Tulane that the Tulsa team beat um, in the week prior, and then yeah, FAU comes and beats Tulsa twenty to seventeen. They beat uh, South Florida. Daniel Richardson really looking like a stud in these in these um, American Conference games that they're playing. He looks extremely well, and then uh, they've got Larry McCammon running the ball. He looks great running the ball. It seems like an offense. Oh, yeah, Larry's one of the top backs in the conference. He's he's a beast, man. Yeah, I I think I think the offense had the the pieces. They just hadn't quite put it together, but now they're starting to find mm-hmm. their stride. Um, Tom Herman, I don't know what he's doing over there, but maybe he's starting to figure out, you know, how he wants to play his pieces that he has. Uh, he's a damn good coach. I knew he was going to figure it out. I, I was never freaking out about FAU slow start of the season. There's just there's so much talent, fans. so much talent on this team, and they get those Florida athletes are so fast. I mean, when I was watching their film the other night, I just it was taking these mental notes like speed, 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 every position. Gosh, um, they've got some guys that can really go. Lejante Wester, their leading receiver, uh, I, he is I think questionable for this week. I believe he had an injury. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure, so don't hold me to that. Uh, but that guy's a stud. Uh, Jaquan Burton. Tony Johnson, Devin Price. They got weapons, man. Uh, Kobe Lewis, I think, is their, their backup running back. He looked good as well. He popped off a long one against USF. Telling you, man, they got some they got some studs. No doubt about it. They always do. They always do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, UTSA opens up as a three-point favorite from the odds makers in Las Vegas. Um, hardly getting favored. And, and, and Jared, you know, <laughs> it's funny. We didn't respect the spread again this week for UTSA over UAB. They did beat the spread by an astounding number. Um, and it seems like Vegas always knows something. Vegas mm-hmm. has this one extremely close. But... Um, is is this going to be the the best measuring stick for UTSA in this conference so far? Yeah, probably so. 
I mean, there, I think this is definitely a more well-rounded team than UAB um, okay. and Temple, for that matter. I think Temple was pretty well-equipped to kind of uh, capitalize on some of UTSA's weaknesses, I guess you could say. But uh, I think FAU top to bottom is a better team, even though they've had their pretty fair share of injuries, just like UTSA. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, coming into the season, we, we definitely expected them to be a tougher matchup than than UAB or Temple. So mm-hmm. they haven't really done anything in my eyes to live down from that. In fact, Adrian, let's not forget that FAU was my upset pick in the offseason for UTSA. And Vegas is right there with me, man. Only three-point spread for the Roadrunners. Not looking like a bad pick. Not looking like a bad pick. So um, when you talk about speed, 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 um, mm-hmm. is it going to be is it going to be more on UTSA's offense to to outscore FAU, which I think they're very capable of doing? Or is it more on the defense and, and, and stopping, you know, Daniel Richardson and company? Yeah. So I think on the offensive side of the ball for the UTSA, uh, for UTSA's offense, uh, it, for me, it comes down to protecting the football because when you have as much speed in the secondary as FAU does, a lot of those passes that, um, you know, and Frank is, is certainly guilty of this, that you can get away with against lesser defenses. You kind of just float up a 50-50 ball or don't put a ton of zip on it, whatever. Mm-hmm. They have the speed to make the break on those balls to to pick them off, right? Um, so I think that's my main concern for, for UTC's offense and on the defensive side. Um, I want them to do what they did against UAB where when they do give up the plays at the safety is still behind the ball carrier or in front of the ball carrier rather. Um, so that they're maybe getting a 20 yard gain, but they're not getting a 50, 60 yard gain. Uh, cause again, FEU has the speed where you make those mistakes, missed assignment, missed tackle, whatever it may be. Um, they're liable to take it to the house. And I thought UTSA did a good job uh, at that against UAB, and they played good safety ball and, and kept things in front of them. Um, but they have struggled with it in some games this season. So it's a big thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Say, and, and Frank Harris is able to get away with a lot of those throws because he's got the receivers to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But sometimes it makes you a little too comfortable with throwing those passes. And Mm-hmm. That can bite you back whenever you go up and against an extremely fast, extremely skilled secondary, like what mm-hmm. we've seen from FAU. Yeah, you know? and I will say, I think Daniel Richardson does a bit of that as well. So he he makes some throws that he gets there and he puts in the right spot, but woo, they're they're a little they're a little iffy. Can pick sure. it off. So I, I think UT's defense will have some chances to get some picks as well. And they've got some big play wide receivers down there at FAU. Oh, yeah. You may have shouted him out when you're going through your list, but yeah, yeah Tony Johnson yeah. and LeJonte mm-hmm. Wester. I mean, it's a, it's a high caliber offense. I know Tom Herman is very, very good at game planning. He gave a lot of respect to UTSA, called us a perennial top 25 team. I got to laugh at a lot. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's true. <laughs> Two I guys suppose... I really like on this uh, defense for FAU, uh, strong safety. He plays a little bit cornerback as well, Jerry Morris. Uh, he's a Texas Day transfer, guy we've seen a lot of. He's a great player. I've always had a lot of respect uh-huh. for him when he was a Bobcat. Um, and the nose tackle, Evan Anderson, is going to be a big challenge for Luke LaPace. I was going to be, you know, UTSA with its second game on the East Coast of the season. It's it's second in a row road trip to the East Coast, albeit you're going down south this time. Mm-hmm. 
We saw a much better East Coast showing from UTSA than historically against Temple in less than optimal conditions. But now we're going to sunny Boca Raton, baby. I mean, everything should be working in your favor. A little bit of Boca breeze from the ocean. Well, you get a Florida shower, my boy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, a few yeah. minutes, but it's not going to be like a wet, groggy game. All right, I just checked the weather. It's you know, we got clear skies, eighty-four degrees. Come on, there. Give it to me. You Only fifty-one percent humidity. Yeah, it's gonna be great. A little bit of sea breeze coming off the ocean because you know FAU's right there. Right. I saw FAU and USF fans getting into uh, proximity to the beach from oh, campus God. on Twitter. So that lame. was really good. Really good stuff. Um, yes. But yeah, what is it about the East Coast, Jared? You know, is do you expect UTSA to come out and take care of business set two weeks in a row on the East Coast? Going to Florida, playing FAU, who we haven't won. Uh, trailer's worst loss of his first season with UTSA. I think we only scored three points against that FAU team. Will he, will he tag or FAU, you want to say? Um, mm-hmm. So what... What's your temperature? I mean, are you bullish on road owners going in there and taking care of business? Hmm. And this three-point spread game? I do think it's going to be really close for sure. Um, I, I don't think I'm like super bullish. I'm not I'm not pushing all my chips in the table. But I think because UTSA went through those struggles earlier in the season, uh, they hopefully got the bad injury luck out of the way early and they're more healed up than ever. I'm thinking that is going to help them be more mentally prepared to face a strong team like FAU and and make that road trip and and show up and and do what they're supposed to do. Um, so I'm actually going to reverse my offseason pick of this being like Ooh. the trap game, upset game, or whatever. Um, and I'm going to pick UTSA to win 31 to 24. Cover the spread. Wow, beating the spread. Wow. That's phenomenal, Jared. That is absolutely phenomenal. I love that. I love that pick so much. It's scary for me. Mm-hmm. I think that this be. is going. To, I think that this is going to be the first back and forth shootout that this team has seen in 2023, reminiscent of the point. old Western Kentucky yeah. and UAB matchups of the last two seasons. Uh, really, over, the, the over under four and a half lead changes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it could be more than that. I think it could yeah. be more than that. Yeah. Four, four and a half is a lot. Five lead changes is a lot, but I think sure, it could very sure. well be four to five. Yeah, and and this is one of those where I think it could very well be the last possession that the last team that has possession of the football mm-hmm. wins mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. Right, last team on offense wins. I, I very very well see that, and we've seen that happen a lot over the last two seasons, the back to back conference championship seasons. We have not seen it this year, and I think we're due for it. However, Jared, all of those back and forth games and UTSA won all of them. They were all in the Alamo dome. Yep. UTSA hasn't quite gotten to that back and forth, you know, 30 high thirties, 40 points touchdown for touchdown situation games on the road. Um, And if, Hmm. and we haven't been in one. I think that first win over West Kentucky in 2021 is the one I can think of. Yeah, we get the interception the, on the, the, last the first play. Bailey Zappi Frank Harris duel that was in Western Kentucky, and we got an interception there on the last play of the game. Yeah, Clarence Hicks, Clarence Hicks, great play. Yeah, which WKU was 
looking like they were going to score and win the game on that, on that drive. I know. So, you know, it's really, it's really a tight one for me, Jared. Um, I do think it's going to be a high scoring showdown. Give me 36 to 38 UTSA. Ooh, you had me worried, man. You had me worried. I think that we take care of business on the road. I think this team has found its energy. It's found its confidence. As long as they stay pissed off, as long as they keep checking those social media receipts, I think they'll be ready <laughs> to go out there like and take it. care of business on the road. And I think that's what we need to see. When you see this team do it on the road against a, a really, really a um, a good opponent mm -hmm. to, to validate it. It's a huge measuring stick, and, and, mm -hmm. and you got to stay undefeated in conference play. This team does not have a choice. We cannot afford to go back under 500, Jared. I want this team to be over 500, four and three going in the halfway point of the season. Yeah, yeah. They, and, you know, to add to that, they need to beat a conference team that has really a lot of talent on both sides of the line, right, which FAU does. And I don't think you can make yes. that argument for Temple and UAB. Mm. Good point. All right, we're going to wrap things up by shouting out our big money donors. And Adrian's about to record our bonus episode this week with old friend Cyrus Smith. Cyrus is FEU super fan, graduated from there, uh, ran underdog dynasty with me for a long time. He's actually flying to Houston to watch the game with us. So that's really exciting. So we're going to Cyrus's perspective on this game. See, I, I think he's been picking FAU to beat UTSA since like the offseason. So we'll see, we'll see how that one goes. Every season. Uh, but thank you to all of our big money donors, including Ben Tovar. The Bunch family, Zach Espedicueta on the San Antonio Podcast Network, the Fikes family, Alejandro Benavides, Dan Erdahl, host of Around the Birdbath, Jacob Cavazos, board president for the UTC Alumni Association, Maddie and Mandy, Jenna and Andy Enzadua, Rick Cortez of Ready Road Grillers, and Homefield Apparel, where you can use discount code utsa once homefield to get 15% off your first purchase. And you'll be supporting us and the Republican Football Podcast Network, of which we are a proud member. So thank you guys all for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the bonus episode this week if you're a Patreon subscriber. If not, we'll see you back next week. 